Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Murder Mile. Today, I'm standing on the Bayswater Road, W2. Two streets east of the stabbing of Stanley Thurman. Three streets southeast of the final night of Emmy Werner. A short walk from the torture of Vincent Carey. And three streets west of the dark secrets of Orm Court. Coming soon to Murder Mile. Overlooking Hyde Park is Falmouth House, an eight-storey square block of posh flats for the cash-rich and the tax-shy, built in 1960. Made of brown brick with white sills and jutting balconies, it resembles the kind of place that a sports pundit would put up his feet, having spent 90 whole minutes telling millions of football fans just what they've seen. Where a dodgy politician secretes his secretary, he's not so secretly shagging. And where a slew of proud-to-be-British bankers bonk their loot, having bet that the pound will collapse, as yet another bafflingly inept Prime Minister of the Week cripples our currency by being utterly shit. Flat 35 a two-bedroomed flat on the fifth floor with views over Hyde Park cost £20,000. Today, it's selling for £3.3 3 Paying for the location, but also to be secure. There are buzzers to let you in, keys to let you out, intercoms to screen any strangers, cameras to watch for weirdos, a service bell if you need help and 24-hour porters who know the names and faces of every resident. In August 1967, two newlyweds, Michael O'Carroll, a stockbroker, and Janet Williams, a model, moved into flat 35. This stylish apartment in a secure building in a well-to-do neighbourhood was to be their forever home. On Tuesday the 12th of March 1968, the flat was burgled. 
but being a half-baked robbery by a band of incompetence. With a hastily concocted plan to solve an easily rectifiable problem. Being so inept and ill-equipped for such a petty crime. Their idiocy would lead to a double murder. My name is Michael. I'm your tour guide. And this is Murder Mile. Episode 195. In Too Deep. Part 1. A plan doesn't need to be much to ensure it doesn't go all arse about tit. It's simple. A little research, some common sense, a dash of patience, a solid leader, and a team with experience and skill. It's not foolproof. Nothing is. But anything is better than three bumbling idiots of mind-numbing stupidity. Michael St. John O'Carroll was a 53-year-old partner at Carroll & Co., a successful city stockbroker's. Being smart, confident, and a risk-taker, his business was solid, but as the industry is, unpredictable. As a stylish gent, he wore sharp suits from Savile Row, drove a flash Lancia convertible, ate in only the finest restaurants and holidayed on private islands. With his work having dominated his world, his family life had suffered. In early 1967, having separated from his wife Claire, he left behind their two sons aged 16 and 19. Their home, a modern detached house overlooking Wimbledon Park, and the divorce proceedings were pending. As a high-powered businessman, with so much to gain or lose within the blink of an eye, few people knew of his problems, as he often hid them behind a cheeky grin, a jocular laugh, and a light-hearted dig at himself. The biggest secret he harboured, though, was that he was lonely. Born in West Hyde, seven miles outside Hereford, Janet Alice Williams was the second youngest of three daughters and two sons, who came from humble beginnings. With her dad George working at a parcel delivery depot, these hard-working parents ensured their children were well-educated, and therefore Janet, as the school prefect, graduated in 1958 from Bromyard Grammar with six O-levels. Gifted with maternal nature, it was no surprise that she worked as an auxiliary nurse at Hereford County Hospital. And later, she retrained as an English and PE teacher at several schools in St. John's Wood, Croydon and East London. She was making a good life for herself. But her ambitions were much bigger. Action. 
being blonde, pretty and petite. Janet Williams had been screen tested at Pinewood Studios with her dream to break into films and TV and with her agent describing her as a beautiful girl with perfect features and a slim figure. She was well on her way to securing a £10,000 a year contract as a model. It's uncertain when it happened, but having lost interest in her modelling career, whilst working as an escort girl, 25-year-old Janet Williams met 53-year-old Michael O'Carroll, and the two fell in love. To say it was a whirlwind romance would be an understatement. But with his divorce petition not due to be heard until the 31st of March, five months earlier, they'd secretly married in Rome until they could be legally married under English law. They had honeymooned at his villa on the Mediterranean island of Elba. And in September 1967, they'd moved into a stylish and elegant flat at Falmouth House on the Bayswater Road. Although a few months pregnant, Michael and Janet took lessons at the Arthur Murray School at 167 Oxford Street. Supervised by Mr. David Bolton, an instructor of tango, rumba and the polka, who Janet knew from when she was a nightclub hostess. It was a romantic dance, destined to mark the birth of their wonderful life together. And yet it was the seed which sowed the start of their agonizing deaths. Thirty-year-old David Colvin Bolton had made a modest living as a dance instructor and he lived with his wife in a small flat above a shop at 79 High Road in South Tottenham. Having lost his job at the Arthur Murray School for reasons unknown, his landlord had taken him to court for being £50 in rent arrears and had given him 28 days to pay. Otherwise, he would be evicted. As a cocky lad who despised the rich but wanted wealth, like so many petty criminals who resorted to stealing rather than working hard, Dave, as he liked to be called, often had a get-rich scam on the go of which he was the mastermind. Sorry, did I say mastermind? I meant moron. Dave was all mouth and no trousers. A wannabe Mr. Big who would bulldoze his ill-conceived schemes like a cow hijacking a milk float. Fueled by anger and jealousy, this bargain-basement Buster Edwards only ever thought of the loot. And in short, he couldn't organise an orgy in a busy brothel. Barely six months before the robbery, Dave had unwittingly begun recruiting his gang. To ensure his success, he could have browsed the Big Book of London Badlats to view a few hoods well-versed in breaking and entering. But instead... He opted for two desperate dickheads without a brain cell apiece. 
Michael David Ellis, was a 22-year-old unemployed swimming instructor from Putney, who sometimes fenced stolen items and nicked checkbooks. But if you mentioned his name to the Met Police, they'd be likely to reply, Who? He dressed like a flashy wanker and blew his cash faster than a wrinkling wag. And just two weeks before the robbery, needing a third man, as possibly they didn't feel that two dense numpties were enough to bungle a simple burglary, they roped in a pal of Mike's called Ray. Raymond David Cohen was a 23-year-old unemployed trainee football coach who still lived at home with his dad in Wandsworth. Being a skinny, bespectacled lad who was easily led, he dressed well and he spoke well, but he had about as much experience of burglary as a blind hermit with agoraphobia. And this was the gang. Dave, Mike and Ray. Three instructors of dancing, swimming and football. You may think I'm overemphasizing their criminal incompetence for comic effect. But I'm not. On Monday the 11th of March 1968, Dave, Mike and Ray set out to burgle a sub-post office off the Great West Road just beside Brentford Football Ground. Based on Dave's precision planning, and yes, I'm being sarcastic. They would break into the house of a sub-postmaster, steal his keys to the safe, swipe all of his loot, not only cash, but also stamps, coupons and postal orders, and then speed away unseen. But having blown an hour, bumbling around this unoccupied house, with the lights off, and only one torch between them, They couldn't find the key. So having left empty-handed, they drove back to Dave's flat in Tottenham, having wasted a few shillings on fuel and wrecked Dave's dodgy brakes and rattling exhaust. At 4am, in the early hours of Tuesday the 12th of March, Dave, Mike and Ray, being less of a pink panther and more of a moth-eaten mauve moggy, decided they needed a simpler job for their simpler brains. Being tired, hungry, high on adrenaline, and having barely slept in 24 hours, Dave, the man with the plan, suggested a robbery he had mooted a few days before. The target was a wealthy stockbroker who lived with his wife in a stylish Bayswater flat. They had money, jewellery, cash and two cars. Dave knew this as a fact, as he had already seen inside the flat. As just two weekends prior, Mr and Mrs O'Carroll had a little drink soiree at Falmouth House, of which their dance instructor was a guest. He hadn't twigged it at the time, 
but given access via the side door's intercom. He had swiftly entered, unbothered through the entrance hall, past the porter, up in the lift of the fifth floor, and with the door to flat 35, opened without hesitation by Janet, who had seen his face through the spy hole. He knew that she liked him, she would open the door to him, and that during the day, she would be alone. The plan was simple. Get in, grab the loot, and get out. What could go wrong? Nothing. Except being sleep-deprived. They'd planned to commit their brazen heist in barely seven hours' time leaving no space to rehearse, plan, or prepare for something they had never done before. They had no tools, no bags, no binds, no gags, no gloves, no overalls, and worse still, no disguises. As well as no backup plan should anything or everything go wrong. And no escape plan. Apart from that, it was perfect. Tuesday the 12th of March began as uneventful as any other for Mr. and Mrs. O'Carroll. Wearing a grey three-piece suit, Michael left for work at 8am in his silver Lancia. Dressed in mauve slacks and a blue checkered shirt, Janet would have a leisurely morning. As being five months pregnant, she was starting to show. But at 1pm that day, they would meet for lunch as planned. At 11.10am, arriving in two cars for no logical reason, Ray parked his Radley Austin Healy at a parking meter on Clarendon Place, within sight of the side entrance to Falmouth House. Where was Dave, who knew Janet? parked his very discreet canary yellow console several streets away. Why? We have no idea. The robbery seemed like a sure thing. Ray would later state, At the front of the flats, we didn't need to call the intercom because a man was delivering furniture. Entering. All three were dressed in dark, mismatched suits, like wartime spiffs, only with nothing to hide their identity. No wigs, no beards, no glasses. And being a bitterly cold morning, not even hats or scarves. Inside reception, greeted by the porter Joseph Buckley, when he asked, What flat do you want? Like massive idiots, they replied, Flat 35, O'Carroll. As burglars always tell security who they plan to rob. Having gained entry to the lift, the plan was simple. We proceeded up to floor 5. Where Dave got out, rang the bell for flat 35, and was let in as expected by Janet. We intended to go up one floor and then come back down again to the fifth, giving Dave enough time 
but being bamboozled by its buttons. The lift returned to the ground floor, where they were again greeted by the bemused porter. What flat do you want? Jabbing button five until the doors shut again, Ray and Mike returned to the fifth to begin the burglary. We rang the bell. Mrs. O'Carroll answered it, and Mike asked for Dave. Is Dave there, please? Opening the door. She looked surprised. Before she could say anything, Dave came up behind her, put his hands around her mouth, and dragged her back into the lounge. Thereupon, we entered and locked the door behind us. Inside of flat 35, this spacious two-bedroom apartment was elegant, stylish, and it sparkled with goods they could easily fence. A colour telly, a deluxe radiogram, and an ornate drinks trolley. But knowing that these were too big to lug about, with no bags for the swag, their smartest move was to fill their pockets with cards, cash, checks, car keys. And as David said, her jewellery alone is worth 10 to 15 grand. With the robbery going okay, as Dave tied Janet's ankles and wrists, as her dance instructor reassured her, Sit down and no one will harm you. She believed him as she knew him. Mike and I looked around and found some jewellery, some cash, a Barclay card, a checkbook, a Harrods card and a set of keys for a mini. She also said that she had a lunch appointment with her husband at 1pm, which gave the robbers an hour at best. I noticed a pill bottle in the bedroom and I assumed that she was pregnant. Not being monsters, they kept her calm. They let her sit in the comfy lounge chair and they reassured her that they'd be in and out in minutes. That was the plan they had agreed to barely a few hours before. But it was then that the plan changed. All in. Dave thought they could probably nick 20, maybe 30 grand's worth of stuff, which today would be a cool quarter of a million pounds. Only Dave was not a jeweler. He was a ballroom dancer who couldn't tell a 24-carat diamond from a cracked marble. So instead of get in, grab it and get out as planned, he wanted to wait for the loot to be examined by an expert. At 12.15pm, Ray was sent to see a fence called Harry Rutter at 11 Kenway in Earl's Court. For a diamond ring, a checkbook, a Barclay card, a Harrods card, a pearl necklace, a dress ring, a pendant watch, a pair of cultured pearl earrings, an Omega watch and a bracelet. He expected a sizable watch of notes. But as most of it was second-hand, fake, and the cards and checks were in Janet's name. And in the 1960s, as few women had bank accounts, that made these items almost impossible to shift. 
instead of getting tens of thousands in cash. Harry gave us 220 quid. Split between three. It sorted out Dave's debt. But robbers don't do a heist to clear their overdraft. At 1.30 p.m., holding an embarrassingly thin stack of tenors, driving his rattly Austin Healy. I took my car over to a muse garage to get my brakes realigned and a new exhaust. Leaving this dunce-hatted band of desperados with only one getaway car for this half-witted heist. Inside flat 35, with Janet still tied up and gagged, Ray grabbed himself a drink. I think it was a scotch. Before he dispensed the bad news and handed his dejected pals a floppy pile of seven tenors each. And that was it. Cutting their losses, they could have left right then by blackmailing Janet or threatening to hurt her husband if she ever went to the police. But again, Dave changed the plan. The phone rang, but nobody answered it. Dave said it had rung before. Five minutes later, it rang again. Dave thought it was Mr. O'Carroll phoning because his wife had met him for lunch. It was then presumed that he would return home. So we took it in turns, watching through the door spiral. As a city stockbroker who wore fancy suits, gold watches, and drove a silver sports car, they knew the second that he saw his pregnant wife, tied up, gagged. He would give them access to his bulging bank account if they promised to let her go. At a little after 2 p.m., Michael entered flat 35. Jan! Jan, you okay, love? Dave grabbed him from behind, tied him up with ties and tights taken from the bedroom, and threatened him with a carving knife taken from the kitchen. Stay quiet, and no one will harm you. Of his wrist, Dave took a Vertex watch, later sold for £10. From his pocket, he took £5 in notes and gave the wallet back. Dave then proceeded in asking Mr O'Carroll to give him money. Access to his cards, his bank accounts, everything. Otherwise, Janet would be hurt. This threat should have made him white with fear. But all it did was make him red with shame. Pending a divorce, with two mortgages, a new wife, an ex-wife-to-be, two teenage boys, and a baby on the way. He'd got nothing. In fact, he'd got less than nothing. Michael was £3,000 in debt. £61,000 today.
and so with everything, having gone to shit. Their twice-changed plan had to change. Again. With the bank account inaccessible, the jewels worth little, and the cards and checks having caught ructions with the fence, who now demanded his money back as the police were starting to sniff about. All this incompetent gang of slightly sleepy assholes had left was two almost new cars. A 1966 two-year-old Mini brought for £680, and a 1964 four-year-old Lancia Flavia convertible bought for £1,900. But there lied another cock-up. Owing to the city traffic, these dim-witted dingleberries hadn't twigged that Michael had driven into work in his Lancia. But keen to get back quickly, he had taken the tube back to his Bayswater flat, leaving his car three and a half miles away. Taking the Mini's keys, as well as Janet's driving license, proof of ownership and the car's logbook, at 3.30pm, Mike Ellis drove the Mini around town to try and flog it off to some car dealers who he knew. Anxiously waiting, as their payday had been a disaster, Dave and Ray paced around the flat, keeping tabs on their hostages and wondering how their half-baked plan, concocted just a few hours earlier, had gone so spectacularly wrong. Being tired and hungry, Ray would later state, I cooked a dinner for Jenna and myself. She had a couple of eggs in rye vita, and I had some corn on the cob. And to while away the time, the gang had a drink, a smoke, and popped on some music, touching everything with their bare hands. Only that hour spent waiting would be time wasted. Mike couldn't sell this nearly new mint condition mini for love nor money. A car dealer in Kingston had offered me 250 quid, but rejected the offer as apparently there were too many irregularities. Like Mike Ellis wanted the money in cash, he wanted it today. And he couldn't explain why, if this was his wife's car, why the owner was called Janet O'Carroll. En route, Mike fenced the Vertex watch to Harry Rutter. But getting into a spat with him about the bank card in Janet's name, I had to pay him back a tenner from the 220 quid he'd already given us. At roughly 4.30pm, as Ray had done just three hours earlier, Mike returned empty-handed. Over the next few hours, from the minuscule haul of just £210, Dave paid back his landlord 
Mike stayed in a few West End hotels, and Ray got a touts ticket to see Chelsea beat Sheffield Wednesday 2-0. The only piece of luck that Ray had was getting the Lancia, as although it was in a secure car park, the parking ticket was on the dashboard, the doors were unlocked, and the keys were in the ignition. The new plan was to meet later at Dave's flat and to work out where and how they would sell the Lancia. While Ray watched football, Dave and Mike sat alone in flat 35, wondering how to get themselves out of this complete and utter mess. With Janet and Michael O'Carroll tied up and gagged, the inexperience of this dance instructor and trainee football coach shone through. As what can you do with two hostages that you can't extort for money and you can't blackmail into silence? Who both know your names and your faces? Nothing. At 10pm, as planned, Mike and Ray met at Day's flat in South Tottenham. Ray would later state, He suggested that Mike and I took the car to Glasgow. We left virtually immediately. Never questioning why. We went straight through to Glasgow, stopping a couple of times for snacks and arriving by the morning. That was the new plan. As having already silenced the hostages, they would sell the Lancia for cash. But unbeknownst to Ray, the plan had already changed without him. As by that point, this gang of incompetence were in too deep. The concluding part of In Too Deep continues next week. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
Hello everyone. That was almost an Al Pacino. I was watching a bit of Dog Day Afternoon the other day. Good film, very good film. Back in the days when Al Pacino could still act before he went all shouty. Well, I'm going to take your hat off. There you go, your hat is off. It's pissing down today. Utterly, 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 butterly pissing down. So I'm hoping this doesn't sound too horrible. I, I managed to get rid of uh, Lawnmower Wanker last time. Oh, sorry. Uh, welcome to Extra Mile, the unscripted, unedited bit. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, bit of waffle, cup of tea, quiz, uh, extra stuff about the case. Blah, blah, blah. There we go. If, if you don't know what I said, then just go to another episode. And I, I, I've said it about 100 and odd times now. Um, pissing down at the moment. Absolutely pissing down. Really, really absolutely pissing down. Windy, rainy. The boat's rocking around the place. So it, oh, it's going to take a lot of work. But I did manage to get rid of Lawnmower Man off the edit. So hopefully I can get rid of the sound of rain. The only thing I can't seem to get rid of with my new system is parakeets parakeets fucking annoying little birds anyway uh what else is going on i'm gonna put on a, a tea i'm gonna put on a peppermint i don't need i'm not gonna make much i think because i'm gonna i'm gonna get to my uh my little coffee shop in a bit bakery's not open today but i'm gonna get to my little coffee shop and the it's nice i always go in there and they they're making my hot chocolate before i even get there and they've already putting out the receipt so they know me i'm a creature of creature of habit it's like when eva goes into bargain booze you know they just they're literally just she they've still got my credit card because she doesn't pay for it herself and basically they just load up a trolley with all the all the really volatile stuff you know what she's like um so what else is going on robin my little robin uh is still living in my cratch so that's the front part of the boat under a little cover haven't been able to i don't think there's an uh, uh, eggs in there yet because it's too early for eggs uh but he's made a little nest so i i, I was gonna i'd asked rspca to come out to have a look at him but they're a bit too busy and it's not really an emergency for them so i was gonna have a little look today to see if there's any eggs and if there isn't then i can move the boat that's fine but the lock's being fixed in front of me so even though i'm late by a week i'm gonna be late by another week leaving uh where i am because um they're, they're fixing a lock for something not it doesn't even need fixing it's fine people have been going through in fact someone went through it this morning but apparently they've got to fix it so i'm stuck here for another week which is not too bad which means i'm near the bakery i'm near the boat bins it's a nice place i'm in an area where people seem to think you're in the middle of nowhere so they avoid it but actually it's a really nice pit it's a really nice pit so that's good so i will i will finish these final two episodes of murder mile here and that'll be done before before uh before december starts which is great so i've already started booking in some times and dates to go into the archives in december which will be good might book myself into a little hotel nearby so i don't have to do the lengthy really ridiculously long commute i might do that uh which will be good um thank you uh to two new patron subscribers so thank you very much to rachel chilton and danny rhodes so thank you rachel and danny that's very much appreciated uh goodies are in the post or i apologize to um um uh anna uh, anna got in touch with me recently and said i didn't get my goodies and then i was like oh shit and uh, she's been very kindly been a patron subscriber for more than two years i think <laughs> so I, I don't know what happened i always send them off but sometimes they just don't turn up you know sometimes the postal service can be great 
which is great sometimes you send stuff off second class and it arrives the next morning and you're like well why should i pay first class but sometimes as we've seen especially if you send stuff to america sorry american posties tend to look at the shape of a mug and they think oh my god that looks like a football not a proper football uh, you know one of those odd footballs american football they go, oh my oh my god i'm gonna i'm gonna throw this across the world touchdown yeah and the mug turns up smashed so uh but sometimes things just don't turn up so which is very annoying so um i've just sent off a, a, some goodies to anna so hopefully you've got you would have got them by now because because you'll be listening to this in a month's time because i'm a month ahead as i am at the moment so there we go um um is my kettle almost done almost i'm going to do some quiz questions i might break part way through so quiz questions get ready we'll answer them shortly question number one what year was falmouth house built question number two what park does the flat overlook these are all really easy question number three what was michael's first wife's name question number four where did janet's dad work Ooh. question number five at which studio did janet get a screen test question number six on what mediterranean island did michael and janet honeymoon uh question number seven where was the arthur murray dance school based you can uh, name street or we can name a number if you want to if you want to be smart about it uh question number eight um what jobs were dave ray and mike doing at the time of the robbery and question number nine because i forgot to do a question number 10 what football ground was nearest to the sub post office that they tried to rob I should have done extra ones, uh, a tenth one, and I thought I'd done a tenth one, but I clearly have forgotten to do it. Let's go and grab my cuppa. Oh, I'm going to put on my fingerless gloves because it's cold. It's it's wintry. It's not quite winter yet. It's autumn. The leaves are out. The le- My boat is covered in leaves. I clean them off every day and they get recovered. It's been raining for days. It's really cold. Uh, luckily, Mr. Robin is okay, so that's all right. Uh, oh, yeah, this is almost done. And... Oh, uh, there we go. I don't know why I'm making myself a tea, because as always, I, I don't really, I, I don't drink in front of the uh, microphone because I know people don't like that, so I don't do it deliberately. But also, by the time I finish this, I always head off to the coffee shop anyway. So, um, last night I was recording the sounds of a, uh, I think it was a tawny owl a tawny owl and what sounded like a, a mutt jack deer having a conversation which was interesting i didn't have good equipment i just grabbed my phone but it's just nice hearing the sounds of a, a, an owl and a, a mutt jack having a bit of a chat so let's dive into some stuff uh about this case don't forget because this is a two-parter and the uh, we conclude it next week i don't want to give away too much so this there won't be too much exciting information here but also don't forget i might balls up some of the quiz questions which i do 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 so uh flat 35 falmouth house on the bayswater road um police in their report didn't give a uh normally they do a plan ground of exactly which flat it was uh and where the flat was and they did a, a nice photo of the outside of the flats but they never explained exactly which the flat was so that took me a good long while to work it out i knew it was on the fifth floor but i didn't know what number 
uh, 35 was, but it, it's for sale. And the, uh, the, um, the details are online. So it was really good. I was able to work out uh, the size of the flat and where it would be. And I worked out it was a corner one. And then they had a view from the balcony. And out of the balcony, I could see that it was Hyde Park. And I could see uh, the tower, the guard's tower over in the distance, over in Knightsbridge. So I was able to work out exactly which one it was just uh, from that. Hooray! Well done, Michael, for your... I mean, it's not important for the story, but for, for me, when I'm filming little, little videos and taking the pictures, it's nice to stand outside the building and know exactly which one you're looking at. Otherwise, it's just... You might as well just say, in this building was a murder. A man got murdered and it was bad. Uh, I'd rather I'd rather be able to see exactly which room it is and work everything out. Um, but yeah, so they, they bought it. Is this a quiz question? nope yeah they bought it for about 20 grand uh it's on sale so that would have been the equivalent of four hundred eighty thousand pounds today so almost almost half a million uh luxury flat overlooking uh described as exceptionally well guarded uh we'll see about that uh in next week's episode uh but as mentioned you know uh, you've got to get through an intercom on the door it's not one of the ones with a camera because this is 1960s so it's, t- it's too early for that but it is a uh, hello who is it oh okay i'll let you in you've got to go past the porters you've got to go through the lift there's not security cameras in that era there is now um but it's pretty well protected. There's even a security bell inside each of the rooms. So if you need the porter's assistance, you just ring it. Uh, so, yeah, it's a n- nice place. Uh, expensive. Uh, so Michael Sinjin O'Carroll, 53 years old, city stockbroker, a senior partner of Carroll & Co. Um, um, oh, try not to give away too much because it's too much in there and there's also some questions um he had separated from his wife whose name is a quiz question well done michael uh, 12 months prior and divorce proceedings were taking place it was going to be the 31st of march they were going to get divorced so that is about th- two and a half weeks after when he got div- uh mu- murdered i mean spo- i mean not really a spoiler because i mentioned at the start of the episode that there was double murder so you kind of know that if you hadn't twigged that come on <laughs> um um he had split from her uh she kept the house in wimbledon uh with their two children their two teenage boys um but she said um she didn't really know much about janet except she had taken my husband's name um uh his wife had not seen her husband for some time uh she said uh, he had left some time ago and all i know about the girl is that I've, I've just read that that she had taken his name uh janet williams uh she was going by the name of janet o'callow she changed her name by deed poll as, as mentioned in the episode we will get to that very shortly so she's born in the summer of 1942 humble beginnings um second youngest of five uh three daughters and two uh three daughters and two sons i almost said three daughters and two sisters then uh one of whom uh, joan is was her older sister and she was a nurse as well which is why she may have gone into nursing as well uh, she seemed to do quite well at school uh, secondary school she was a fine athlete she was in the school hockey team uh she was school prefect which is kind of the you know 
when you're when you're goody two shoes you become the prefect uh, <laughs> uh she was an auxiliary nurse for a bit as mentioned at hereford county hospital trained as an english and a pe teacher in various parts of london um and then but she really really wanted to become an actress someone said that uh she looked pretty so there she she become a model uh, actually inside the flat are lots of different pictures of her as a model as well so if you're a patron subscriber you get to see those become a patron subscriber for for, uh, for almost people do say but they when when they because uh, i post stuff that you won't see anywhere else and i i, I share little bits online uh, social media because you have to oh, i hate social media but um all the all the really good stuff is all safe as a patron it's all in there hidden away um so let's dive into these um guys raymond david cohen 23 uh was a as a job i'm not going to tell you what lived uh 20 west side in wandsworth with his father everyone knows him as ray um uh one of the porters described him as five foot nine early 20s jet black hair curled back at the back brushed back and he wore dark rim glasses he was broad-shouldered and wearing a gray tweedy suit he sounded educated and was expensively dressed Uh, i haven't put descriptions of ray mike and dave in there because uh because they all came in at the same time everyone is describing them but they do, at no point does anyone seem to say this is that one and this is that one so it's and because i haven't got any pictures of them it's hard for me to boil that down so i've kept that vague but we kind of know who they are really um uh, uh what else have we got david colvin bolton he was the older one 30 the ballroom dancer lived with his wife in south tottenham uh, uh all of these guys were pretty much born in in london uh he's a six foot tall slim looked younger than he was people said he was kind of mid-20s but he wasn't he was 30s again brushed back hair and a light suit um with these guys that I, I i went in a couple of times and pulled out the court records and the police files because i, I was desperate to get their because always in there will be their their criminal records from the past because i was like what is their criminal records but they're not in there uh whether they weren't put in the police file they were certainly would certainly have been used in the trial itself but it's not in there um but so from what i could work out in in a lot of the witness statements and things like that they were the kind of minor crimes that they'd done before you know attempts at crimes but they were never good at what they did they were a little bit uh baffling um michael david ellis uh was the one they referred to as mike it makes it difficult in the story because we've got a michael and a mike uh, a mike well two michaels so even though everyone called michael david ellis ellis um i've called him mike in this because it just makes it easier by calling everyone by their first name uh he lived at 10 cambolt road in putney he also lived with his parents as well um his hard to describe because his description is a uh, five foot seven medium build and everyone seems to say that he was forgettable he was the one that no one could really remember uh, which is why he doesn't appear that much in this book in this book this isn't the book michael this is a podcast uh, in this podcast uh but we know that he had stolen checks uh we will le- learn more about you'll learn more about mike and ray in the next episode so that's more about them 
Michael and Janet, we know that she was working uh, as an escort. Uh, she'd kind of lost interest in her modeling career and her acting career. It didn't seem to be going well. She, uh, she'd started to call herself Janet O'Carroll and Janet Carroll. Uh, that was her modeling name. By that point, she'd already married Michael O'Carroll. He, again, he uses the name Carroll. Because don't forget, this is 1960s. There's a lot of kind of anti-Irish sentiment along there. So even though he's on of Irish stock, uh, he's using the name Carroll as opposed to O'Carroll, which doesn't really make it sound less Irish, does it? It's like it's like difference between Riley and O'Reilly. <laughs> um, so as mentioned, the divorce was meant to be going ahead 31st of March. Um, the... Uh, 11 days after the murder, uh, police found a certificate in the flat of a marriage between Michael and Janet. Uh, it stated that they were married 27th of October 1967, so uh, five to six months earlier. Uh, she told pre- friends that they planned to be married. I uh, can't say that because that's a quiz question. Um, police uh, were late later unable to find the registrar by name given on the marriage license and they believe that it was an arranged marriage to convince michael's family that the relationship with janet was respectable um her family seems to get on well with him his family don't seem to get on with her i think because he left she was already single anyway so that's fine for them uh but he uh was married with children and he was going through a divorce so that kind of made everything a bit bad um she was roughly five months pregnant around the time which would have put the time of conception around the time of the honeymoon uh they got two cars which we've already mentioned we'll dive into that they come up again in the next week's episode so we've got more to dive into that but they lived very well and expensively um uh, even to the point where uh in a lot of the press they were trying to pin down michael and janet's final movements and they were trying to work out where they were the night before because they'd been out dining and they thought it might be connected to that we'll find out next week um they moved in together they moved in september 1967 uh they regularly spent weekends away uh at janet's country cottage uh and went to see her family over in hereford uh, as mentioned earlier on, they went to see her father and her father said, I've never seen a couple so happy and well suited. Um, meeting David Bolton. So uh, I had fun with that, tried to slip that in and make it sound like it was just a normal because it is. It's it's amazing, isn't it? It's a normal everyday thing. This is just a couple who are preparing to get They're already married, but they want to get married properly. They, they need the divorce to come through so they can turn around and go, right, we're legally married under English law. Therefore, she's legally my wife. Everything's kosher. Um, and therefore, um, they were prepping for that. They were prepping for the marriage. Um, therefore, they wanted to do that dance. So they went to the Arthur Morris School, where it is, is the uh, answer to one of the questions. Um, they enrolled 29th of November 1967 for an introdu- introductory course of four lessons of ballroom dancing. Uh, they did that on the 7th, 13th, 21st and 28th of December. Then signed up for another eight courses. Uh, from the 15th of February, uh, they decided to do a further f- 10 uh, courses as they were getting better. And their supervisor was a Mr. David Bolton. Um, they were taught separately for the first seven and then the rest of them they were taught together um 
David Bolton seems to like them. They seem to like him. He seems to be a good dance instructor. We don't know much about his past, about where he comes from and why he's a dance instructor. But we know that Janet knew him as she was a dance host hostess previously. So that's how they met, uh, which is why they, they liked him and they invited him along to their flat. Um, Ray had known Michael uh, Ellis uh, for about six months. So around the time that uh, Janet and Michael uh, moved in together, that's when they started becoming friends. Um, Ellis introduced... So Michael Ellis introduced Raymond uh, Cohen to David Bolton in early March. Now, going through Michael's uh, Raymond's statements, he said, I was introduced to to Mr. Bolton by Mr. Ellis. He uses Mr. Bolton and Mr. Ellis all the time on this. He's very polite. Uh, About two weeks ago. So Ray had only known Dave two weeks and he'd only known Mike six months. Not much, and uh, not particularly good, given the fact that they're not particularly well-versed in uh, skills. Unless, of course, the skills that they needed were... Well, I'm not going to say what the skills were, because that's one of the quiz questions. Um, what else have we got? Um, yep, uh, February 1968, one month before the murders, uh, David Bolton lost his job at the dance school. We don't know why. We know he was £50 in rent arrears, which is about 950 quid today. So not really a hell of a lot. Not not a fortune, really. Um, and I'm sure he could have got a more legitimate job elsewhere to, to kind of pay off the rents. But he didn't. Uh, and he was in the process of being evicted. Uh, his landlord, Harry... I can't remember what Harry's surname was. I... Uh, I've got it written down here somewhere. Um, uh, was going to... Uh, Harry Stock, that's it. The landlord uh, was uh, putting in an eviction notice on the 14th of February uh, 1969. Therefore, with 28 days left, he was pretty much running out of time. So the 12th to 13th would have been the days that he was close to being evicted. That's why he kind of pushed it at that moment. It was... They came up with a plan. They tried to burgle the... Uh, the the sub post office that failed which is why it kind of led into right next morning we're gonna rob these people there was no waiting around there was all kind of a a panic for it and it was all because he was going to be uh evicted um kind of really silly really really silly um what else we got um I mean, this is the thing, isn't it? He could have gone to Citizens Advice and said, "Oh, I need more time," and they could have gone, "Right, we'll, we'll, we can help negotiate uh, an extra couple of weeks or something." Um, Saturday, the second tw- of March, nineteen sixty-eight, Michael and Janet invited David Bolton to a party at their flat. He was in attendance. Um, it, pretty much, he was given access to everything. Uh, the whole, I mean, the whole flat. It's a three-bedroom flat. And he believed that everything, uh, kind of all the jewellery was worth twenty to 30, 15 to 20 grand, which it was not. Also at the party was uh, Patricia Merrifield, who was a dance instructor at the same place, who knew him and went with him to the party. Uh, I didn't put in her in it because it just kind of muddies the waters. We don't need to know about her. She's, she's not involved in, in the crime at all. She said they arrived about 8.30. We got in through the front door. We rang the bell. Somebody answered. Um... David Bolton, uh, who said it, uh, said it was him and the door was opened. Um, it was relative. She said it was relatively low security. He was trusted, uh, as he was an instructor and a social friend. 
Um, when we arrived, Mr. O'Carroll took our coats. The atmosphere was friendly. It was a well-sized flat, and the guests had access to all the rooms. It's a small flat, so it's not really a problem. Um, but obviously, he doesn't really acknowledge the significance of this at the moment. But if you think about it, going to that party for him was like a dress rehearsal. He's walking around the flat. He's got free access to it. He can see this is the only part of this story which is actually of his planning, which actually works, is the fact that he'd already been in that flat and he'd already seen around. So instead of knocking on the door and going in and going, right, I'm burgling the place. Oh, do you have uh, do you have a uh, telly? you got a telly. That is good. I will think about the telly. Uh, he actually, he's seen it. He's had a look around. The problem is he, because he doesn't know jewellery and he doesn't know the price of things that he could fence. He, doesn't, he hasn't really assessed it that properly. So, um, yeah. Um... Um, Dave had mooted the idea of doing this uh, about two days before. So the Saturday, this is the week after the party, but a couple of days before the burglary itself, uh, he'd he'd mentioned it to them, he'd, uh, to Dave and... Uh, not Dave, to, to Ray and Mike. And he'd uh, mentioned it to them and they'd kind of taken it on board and said, yeah, do you know, it's possibly something we could do. But what they really wanted to do was the sub-post office. Because if you think about it, the sub-post office was, uh, in case you don't know, a sub-post office is, uh, quite often we have them here, you can have a main post office, which is kind of a post office you go to, but a sub-post office can be something inside something else. So inside a news agent, it can also be inside someone's house. Uh, but that normally means that the opening hours are a little bit smaller a less kind of manageable uh but for them it was fine because the sub postmaster would be out therefore they could break into this person's house steal his keys and because part of the post office was in his house um they knew that the um the safe would be there and it'd be full of goodies but they absolutely ballsed it up because there were utter 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 numpties um I know there's a lot of people out there who gangsters, yeah, gangsters, love gangsters. Um, but every time I read stories about gangsters, gangsters, they're just twats, aren't they? They're just morons who can't do a proper job. Therefore, oh, gangsters, yeah, yeah, respect, yeah, yeah, all that. But it's not. They're just twats who are incapable of doing anything. Therefore, they have to steal. And most of the time, they cock it up. There's a really good book if you read the uh, uh, the book by Joseph Pistone, who was uh, Donny Brasco. If you read the book that he co-wrote about his life as Donny Brasco, it's brilliant because it's it's not oh gangsters yeah 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 like that. He's like he he goes on about how boring it is, how gangster life is just boring and full of shit, and just people up their own ass and making claims about things that they haven't done, and you just go oh so desperate people needy bastards needy for attention so uh yeah i don't know i don't know how i got onto the conversation of gangsters in gangsters in. <coughs> um what else is there uh yeah no so it's pretty pretty much so after the, the, they'd made it back from the sub post office about 4am back to dave's flat and there they had because so he was going to be evicted pretty much the next day uh yeah it would have been the next day pretty much so he was desperate so that's why he came up with the plan that morning and it was literally like right 11 o'clock we're gonna we're gonna rob the o'carrolls knowing that well not even knowing guessing that michael would be out and guessing that janet would be in 
Uh, she didn't have a job by that point. She wasn't modelling. Um, he probably would have chatted to her when they were dancing, uh, asking her about her day. So he's probably got all the information about that. That um, Pros and cons. Um, easy for him to get in. He knew the layout. Uh, she was a pregnant woman, so probably easy to uh, uh, overpower. Uh, risks. Um, the only way that he could get be let in uh, have, not having a key is for her to let him in and therefore she would need to hear his voice and see his face and know him and be able to identify him so that makes it all really difficult but as mentioned in the episode because they only had six hours between having decided to do it and actually doing the crime itself they hadn't, really hadn't got a plan they were winging it they hadn't got anything to bind them nothing to gag them no disguises no tools no bags uh just nothing I and mean, they just winged it and and even worse they have no given the fact that she has to see his face that what, what the fuck did he think that she was going to do afterwards did she th- think she was going to go oh okay that's fine you nick our stuff and i'll we'll just let you go it's like it's like um, one thing that i thought of so i put the reference to balaclavas in there he could have made his way past the guys on reception, you know, you could put on a hat and gloves and a scarf and things like that. I'd go, oh, isn't it chilly outside and work your way in? Oh, I'm here to see the O'Carrolls and be let up. That's not a problem. But when you're going up in the lift, put on the balaclavas because obviously he knocks on the door and says, oh, hi, Janet, it's it's me. But or or he could have gone. It's it's the porter, you know, it's, it's, it just it, it doesn't make sense to get yourself in there. And have her see him. And how's he going to get away? Just the incompetence of it. But also, I'm guessing the arrogance as well. Because he's quite an arrogant man. Um, I think that's it. I don't want to give away too much. Because we've got a lot to cover next week. Next week it will just, just utterly baffling. Let's do the uh, answers to the quiz questions. Uh, nine quiz questions. Let's hope I didn't balls any of them up. I don't think I did. So here we go. What year was Falmouth House built? 1960. Uh, question number two. What park does the flat overlook? Hyde Park. Question number three. Uh, what was Michael's first wife's name? It was Claire. Question number four. What did Janet's dad do for, uh, for as a job? He worked at a parcel delivery depot. Question number five. At which studio did Janet get her screen test? It was Pinewood Studios. Uh, Question number six. On which Mediterranean island did they honeymoon? It was Elba. Question number seven. Where was the Arthur Murray Dance School based? It was uh, 167 Oxford Street, uh, which, if you're going along Oxford Street, uh, it's now where the Big Marks and Spencers is. Uh, Question number eight. What jobs did Dave, Ray and Mike do at the time of the robbery? It was a trick question. Uh, They were all unemployed. There you go. Let's hope. Let's hope he, did he fall over fall for that one? I don't know. Uh, and question number nine, a final question because I ballsed up. What football ground was nearest to the sub post office they tried to rob? It was Brentford, which I pass on the way to the archives. There we go. So that's me done. Hope you enjoyed that. Um, next week, 
uh, is the final part of our two-parter, so I hope you enjoy that. And then that takes us uh, to the start of the break. By that point, I would have already done archive stuff. I'm trying to get myself ahead of the game. Archive stuff, done what I need to do. It'll be Christmas. There'll be hopefully a Christmas episode. Um, and then uh, January, uh, going to go off offline. Brrr, offline. Brrr, give myself a break because I think I need it. I'm exhausted. I've I'm, uh, My brain is almost frazzled so i i need to i need to uh offline soon so i hope you enjoyed that folks uh i'm gonna go out into the rain and grab my hoff hoff hof, i can't talk i'm gonna grab my hot chocolate mm, yummy and i might even get a cake with them it's all tax deductible you know uh so <laughs> have yourself a good week folks stay safe and be good thanks for supporting the show cheers bye-bye Oops. Oh, switch off. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.